With every story we hear, listen to, read, or tell, we make basic human connections that help define who we are. Welcome to Afterwards Paranormal, the podcast devoted to those stories that tell us who we are when we're in the dark. Listen closely now. The dark is speaking, and the need to be heard never dies. And now it's time for Home is Where the Haunt Is, the portion of our podcast devoted to personal experiences with ghosties and ghoulies. Have a story to share? Send it in to afterwardsstories at gmail.com. We're dying to hear from you. We were driving my friend's really old, beat-up Subaru through a massive graveyard. We stopped and walked down a hill and came across a little pond. There was someone sitting on a rock on the other side of the pond. The figure was all black, and we couldn't make out any features other than the fact it looked like a man who was wearing some old-style top hat. We stupidly waved and shouted, Hi! He didn't show any acknowledgement and continued sitting still on the rock. Suddenly, he jumped to his feet, started running towards us on top of the water, and then vanished into thin air about halfway across the pond. My friends and I screamed and ran back to the car. The car wouldn't start, and we heard something banging on the back of the car. It wasn't a constant bang, but every few seconds or so we'd hear it. Nobody was outside from what we could see in the dark, but something was making a noise on the car. I opened my phone and started dialing my mom to come and give us a boost, but I had no service. None of us had any cell service. The next 30 minutes were spent trying to get the car started. No banging was heard afterwards, but we felt this heavy pressure around us. Finally, the car started, and my friend hit the pedal to the metal. We sped out of the graveyard so fast. Once we crossed the gates, all our phones regained cell service. One thing I know for certain is that someone or something was out there, and it was not an animal or a human. Hello and welcome to episode 102 of Afterwards Paranormal. I'm your host, Shelby. My own state of Utah is home to one of the largest open-pit copper mines in the world. The Bingham Canyon Mine, more commonly known as Kennecott Copper Mine, is nearly three miles wide and one mile deep. 
It spans nearly 45,000 acres and can be seen from outer space. I remember going there on a field trip as a child, and when the other kids had had enough, I only wanted to go deeper. The shafts seemed to call to me, Come down farther. Even though no ghosts appeared, the mine was delightfully haunting. Our story, The Ghost Pit by Simon Clark, is about a haunted mine. The dead are not at rest down in its depths. Stories of haunted mines are as plentiful as the minerals taken from them. Here are a few. The Vulture Gold Mine in Maricopa County was one of Arizona's most productive and influential gold mines. The mine was in operation from 1863 to 1942 and produced over $200 million in gold. The town around the mine, Vulture City, I love that name, was a boom and bust town. It disappeared as fast as it sprang up. At its height, the Vulture City had a population of about 5,000. Vulture Gold Mine is credited with founding the nearby town of Wickenburg, and the agricultural area that sprouted to serve the mines also helped spur growth in Phoenix. The mine was built when Henry Wickenburg, a prospector who had arrived from California, discovered a high grade form of gold ore in the area. Miners flocked to the area in hope of getting rich. In the spirit of the Old West, Vulture was a rough place. Miners often died in cave ins, while dozens were hung from the infamous hanging tree when they got caught stealing gold. There were gruesome tales of murders and freak accidents in the mine and surrounding towns, which left a haunted legacy in the now abandoned ghost town. One such tale is the sad story of Jimmy Davis, who got his arm caught in a piece of machinery. And was then repeatedly flung into several pieces of heavy equipment, breaking every bone in his body, before dropping him down dozens of feet into a mine shaft. It took him five hours to die, and every attempt to rescue him failed. The ghost of Jimmy Davis still haunts the mines, and his voice can be heard crying for help in the middle of the night. Several other ghosts inhabit the mines, including the greedy miners who were killed for trying to steal the precious gold. They were called high graders. Although they turned their diggings into the company each day, they kept the best quality gold for themselves. If caught, they were hung on the spot. Their ghosts can be seen around the hangman's tree at night, trying to protect the gold they worked so hard to dig up. The vulture mine in nearby Vulture City is now a ghost town. Long abandoned after being forced to close in 1942. The Ringwood Mine is in the town of Ringwood, New Jersey, and was once one of the largest producers of iron in the world. But it's still open to tourists who want to explore its dark depths. During its time as an active mine, thousands of workers labored in dangerous conditions, and many lost their lives due to cave ins and other accidents. The mine was also known for its poor working conditions and low pay rate. Miners were expected to work in unsafe conditions for less than a dollar per day. Many locals claim they've seen paranormal activity there, such as hearing footsteps or voices coming from inside the abandoned mine. Some even say they see ghosts walking around their homes with lanterns in hand. Visitors claim to have heard footsteps. 
voices, or whispers while exploring this place. Located in Ogdensburg, New Jersey, the Sterling Hill Mine is one of the most popular ghost mines in America. The mine is over 2,500 feet deep and has a network of tunnels that span 35 miles. In 1897, the Sterling Hill Mining Company started mining operations at the site, hoping to find zinc or iron deposits. Unfortunately for them, their search did not meet their hopes, but not before it cost many miners' lives. Throughout its 90 years of operation, the mine saw nearly 77 deaths from accidents and explosions. Visitors to the Sterling Hill Mine have reported several paranormal experiences. They claim to have heard footsteps, voices, whispers, and even seen an apparition of a miner carrying a lantern. Some visitors even claim that unseen hands have touched or pushed them. Sterling Hill Mine has a variety of haunted tours available online. Ooh, sign me up. The Black Diamond Mine is a ghost town in the Sierra Nevada Mountains, California. It is located within the Lake Tahoe Basin Management Unit of the United States Forest Service. Black Diamond was once a mining town with several hundred residents, but today only one family remains. The town was named Black Diamond because of the enormous amounts of coal it produced. Established by miners in 1857, Black Diamond was first known as the Mount Diablo Coal Field. The site has been inhabited since before the gold rush and was once used as a staging point on the pack trail between Truckee and Reno. There have been many ghost sightings around the graves of miners who died while working in the Black Diamond mines. Several people have reported seeing apparitions in the cemetery at night. Some say they've heard voices coming from inside the gravesite when no one is there. Others claim that they have seen shadows moving through the graveyard while they were driving past. A miner's life is. A miner's life was, and still is, a difficult one. Miners still risk their lives, and there are stories of cave-ins in the news frequently. Although miners' deaths in the depths of mines make great ghost stories, I hope that no miner loses their life in the pursuit of resources that our world needs. I believe that miners are some of the bravest people on the planet. True heroes, in my book. I was born one morning when the sun didn't shine. I picked up my shovel and I walked to the mine. I loaded 16 tons of number nine coal. And the straw boss said, well, to bless my soul, you load 16 tons. What do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. I was born one morning. You are listening to Afterwards Paranormal the podcast that offers you dark tales from literature, lore, and you, the listener. If you're interested in contributing stories to the show, please stay tuned after the story for details. Sarah. 
Simon Clark lives in Doncaster, England with his family. When his first novel, Nailed by the Heart, made it through the slush pile in 1994, he banked the advance and embarked upon his dream of becoming a full-time writer. Many dreams and nightmares later, he wrote Blood Crazy, Darkness Demands, This Rage of Echoes, Whitby Vampiric, and The Night of the Triffids, which continues the story of Wyndham's classic film, The Day of the Triffids. His revival of the wickedly ambulatory plants won the British Fantasy Society's Award for Best Novel. And now, The Ghost Pit by Simon Clark. The man spoke in a whisper. Listen, I mean, really listen. Can you hear it? That hiss, shush. It sounds like lungs, doesn't it? We're down here at the bottom of the pit, a thousand feet below ground, and there it goes. Hiss. Shush. It sounds like someone breathing. Something breathing. Something huge. Her guide in the coal mine was a hard, muscular man. Tufts of black hair stuck out from beneath the bright yellow helmet. Up there on the surface, John Stryker had been cocky. He strode around the mine like he owned the place. John Stryker loved the sound of his own voice. Yet down here, at the bottom of the shaft, it was a different story. The man was scared. In the light of the helmet lamp, she saw the sweat on his face. Yes, absolutely. The place terrified him. It fascinated him, too. Jenny Brown suspected he dared himself to come down here into the coal mine, a test of his manhood. Fear was his fix of choice. Then there was something uncanny about these miles of tunnels, the abandoned machinery, the inky blackness, the solitude. His voice was gruff. Come on, then. You'll want to get your filming done so you can get out of here. He tried to smile. It looked like a desperate snarl. Fear was eating into him. You won't be used to pits like this. No doubt you're scared. That's only natural. I'm not scared, Mr. Stryker. Ah, trying to put on a brave face, are we? You promised to show me an unusual feature of the coal mine, Mr. Stryker. It's my job to film it for the Industrial Heritage Archive. That's a flippin' mouthful, isn't it? He tried to cover his fright with contempt. Industrial Heritage Archive. Waste of money, if you ask me. If you'd rather not come, I can go by myself. Go by yourself? Ha! You wouldn't last two minutes down here, Miss Brown. Not two minutes. Then show me what I've come to see. Follow me, then. Don't bang your head on the pit props, all right? I'll take care of my head, Mr. Stryker. You look after yours. As her guide turned away, he grunted something she didn't quite catch, a something that was clearly insulting about the young woman with the video camera. What was that you said, Mr. Stryker? He bluffed his way out with a lecture about the pit, like Jenny was some dumb-witted schoolgirl. There used to be hundreds of coal mines in Britain. This is one of the last. It was mothballed ten years ago because it's cheaper to import coal than dig it from under our feet. Mind you don't trip over the cables. I don't want to have to carry you out with a broken leg. Now where was I? Ah, the name of this pit is Capstone Luck. 
Despite the name, it was never a lucky pit. In 1896, 200 men were killed in a methane blast, and 200 coffins were paraded through the village to the graveyard. There wasn't a single body in the coffins. No, they're all still down here, lass. Clearly he wanted Jenny to feel the fear he felt, so he continued. They're all lying in the muck and dark two levels below this one. He decided 200 deaths weren't enough. Lots died since explosions, rockfalls, machinery accidents. When the pit was being mothballed, 6,000 engineers fell a 1,000 feet when the lift cable snapped. They hit the bottom of the shaft pretty much where you're standing. Now then, hurry up. Otherwise, you'll miss filming Capstone Luck's big mystery. Then his voice acquired a dark sarcasm. We don't want the Industrial Heritage Archive wasting their pennies, do we now? They walked along the tunnel. Its walls had been cut from living coal. Beneath the harsh light, those seams of coal shone a glossy, lustrous black, like black gemstones. Then Jenny heard the sound again. Hiss. Shush. You don't want to be late, lass, he told her. It's coming. What is it? she asked. What's making that noise? You're just about to find out, miss. Stand at the edge of that shaft and look down. She peered into the shaft. The light revealed smooth flanks of rock that plunged downward. A rusty iron ladder was bolted to one side of the shaft. The phrase, bottomless pit, came to mind. John Stryker took a deep breath. Every twenty-eight days the lower mine workings flood. Water rises up the shaft as far as that steel beam there. Do you see it? About thirty feet down? The L-shaped one next to the ladder? Hiss. Shush. That sound again. Jenny switched on the camera. Why does it flood on such a regular basis? Nobody knows. We're miles from the sea. But every twenty-eight days the water comes back. It's like a tide. It rises three hundred feet up the shaft, then stops. Just stops right there at the beam. Hiss. Shush. The sound grew louder. Hiss. Shush. Like a huge animal breathing. You know something, miss? The man's voice was like the echo ghosting from the shaft. The truth is, I can't get capstone luck out of my mind. It's all I ever think about. Locals call it the ghost pit. And now I know why. I can see all those men that died here. Burnt. Suffocated. Blown apart. Cremated alive. And I know it's those dead men. They make this happen. They do it. The ghosts. They bring the water. They want to drown the fires. They need to stop the pain. The ghosts pull the water into the mine to quench that awful, searing heat. Even though the fires went out a long time ago, there are still fires burning inside their souls. She stared at him in shock. You can't really believe that. Oh, but I do, miss. I see them. All the miners that died, their ghosts are down there. I'm going back, Mr. Strecker. You're not well. You can't go yet. Why not? It's starting. Look. He pointed downwards. His finger trembled and his eyes bulged. Here it comes. The flood. The water stops at the L-shaped beam, she told herself. It always stops there. 
The flood never rises higher. That's what Stryker said. The water will stop. She watched the rising levels. The flood touched the steel beam. Then the water swirled past it. The liquid surged higher and higher. She saw it racing towards them. A fluid piston remorselessly surging up from the black depths. She cried out, You said it would never rise higher than the beam. A strange smile appeared on Stryker's face. The mine needs more ghosts. The faces told me. We will stay here forever and ever. With that, the man stepped over the edge. When he struck the water, it swallowed him without a splash. Jenny turned and ran. That was the moment the electricity failed. The sudden death of the light startled her so much she stumbled. The safety helmet flew from her head. When it struck the floor, the lamp went out. Darkness. Absolute darkness. Jenny held her breath. She could see nothing. There was nothing but black. She heard something, though. Hiss. Shush. The sound grew louder. Hiss. Shush. And then the sound of pouring. I know what that is, she thought in horror. That's the sound of the water rising out of the shaft. A cold wind blew along the tunnel, the air being displaced by the flood. Soon the water would reach her. Her heart pounded. Her chest grew tight, so tight she could hardly breathe. Move, she told herself. Get out of here. But which way? She couldn't see. Yet she knew that the water gushed into the tunnel. To drown in the dark? Here, deep underground? To die alone? Her heart slammed against her ribs. Arctic shivers ran down her spine. Already she imagined the water's cold touch. She scrambled to her feet, then reached out for the tunnel wall. As soon as her fingers met the rock, she began to walk, using the wall to guide her. Then she ran, because something was happening, something worse than the flood, worse than the darkness. The water behind her began to glow with a faint silver light, a glow like moonlight. Eerie, haunting, a cold, cold glow that was not natural, nor even earthly. She glanced back. The water pursued her. It wanted her. And then she knew why. Faces. The water consisted of liquid faces. Dozens, hundreds of them. Faces with wide, staring eyes. Eyes of men that had been dead for decades, but something in the mind wouldn't let them be properly dead. Not dead and gone. These were the spirits of dead miners. She glimpsed the face of John Stryker in the water. His lips moved. Jenny, Jenny, stay. The liquid souls wanted her. They had to possess her. The glowing water gave her enough light to see by, so she ran faster. Just then her toe caught a cable. She went sprawling to the floor. The water rushed toward her. Then she was on her feet again, running hard, running faster than she'd ever done before. At last she reached the lift cage, jumped in and slammed the grill shut, punched the red button, and kept punching that big red button, the emergency call, the one that told them on the surface to haul up the lift. Where are they? Why don't they pull me up? Oh no. Oh my God, here it comes. Hiss. Shush. The flood swept toward her. Jenny must have blacked out. She didn't remember the return journey to the surface. All she knew was that hands carried her out of the lift. Where's Stryker? they asked. What happened to Stryker? Stryker.
Jenny Reed is much better now. The nightmares have stopped. No more hallucinations, knock on wood. Whatever happened in the coal mine was a terrible accident, or so they told her. A freak flood, that's all. Even so, she changed her life entirely. Now she works for a TV station in Saudi Arabia. The sun shines. In the desert, there isn't so much as a drop of water. She likes it that way. This arid land makes her feel safe. Because these days, even a jug of water at the dinner table makes her shudder. And as for taking a bath. And now a year later, on the anniversary of her escape, Jenny wakes all of a sudden. She is alone in her Saudi apartment. A warm breeze blows through the open window. At first she thought it was the breeze making a sound. Then she heard it properly, and her blood turned cold. Hiss. Shush. Jenny turned on the light. A shadow crept under the apartment door. No, not a shadow. This is water. A large pool of water spreading out across the floor toward her bed. And that sound again. The one from the ghost pit. Hiss. Shush. Yes, that sound. Hiss. Shush. The last sound she would ever hear. As the season turns to fall, I hope you were all enjoying yourselves as much as I am. The other day, I was wearing some Halloween leggings, and this woman came up to me and she said, well, it's not Halloween yet. And I just looked at her and I said, it's always Halloween in my heart. She gave me a really weird look and walked away. It's so nice to know that you're all kindred spirits out there. I'm not alone in my love of the ghoulish. Thank you so much for listening to Afterwards Paranormal. I've been your host, Shelby. And as always, I leave the last words for you. Thank you for listening to Afterwards Paranormal Podcast. Please join us on Patreon and Facebook. You can listen to Afterwards Paranormal on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Contact us at afterwardsstories at gmail.com. And remember, the need to be heard never dies. Thank you.